Miss Yarrow Bertie. Greetings, heathens. Welcome to Hail Satan. This is the podcast exploring Satanism, culture, and life in general through the eyes of modern Satanists. My name is Joseph Rose. I'm a member of the finest congregation in the land called Satanic Delco, and we welcome members from anywhere in the world. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, visit satanicdelco.com. Today, I'm going to tell the story of some Washington wives who got really upset about what people were singing about. But first, let us welcome some very cool Satanists that have chosen to join up with us all on Patreon recently. We've got Peaceful Satanist, Xanda, Dr. Wen, Fractious Witch, Hayden, Roberto, Julian, Barnabas, Bobby, Mist and Angel, Jake, Aetherist, Tommy, Joey, Lissy, and Ed. Thank you all very much. It is your support that makes all of this possible, and I sincerely appreciate that very much. Thank you. If you all have a moment out there, please visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. You will find links to join me on social media, a form to send me an email, and a link to join up with us on Patreon. We have a few different tiers to choose from with various benefits, including the amazing Greetings from Hell Satanic Postcard of the Month Club. That is the most direct way you can support me and this show if you'd like to do that. Visit HailSatanPodcast.com. All right. I'd like to talk about an event or a series of events that really left an impression on me as a child and the memory of it has stayed very fresh in my mind for all these years. I don't know whether or not it's accurate to say that this is directly connected to the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s, but to me it is definitely related. I'm talking about a committee called the Parents Music Resource Center. They're most often referred to as the PMRC. It all began one evening back in 1984 or 85, a woman named Tipper Gore allegedly purchased a copy of Prince's Purple Rain album for her 11-year-old daughter, Corinna. And for those who aren't familiar, that album is the soundtrack to the R-rated film of the same name. And when young Corinna was playing the album at home, it eventually reached track five, which is a song called Darling Nikki. Tipper and her daughter heard the following lyrics in the first verse of that song. I knew a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. She said, how'd you like to waste some time? And I could not resist when I saw little Nikki grind. Guys, Is it getting warm in here, or is it just me? Tipper Gore heard these words, and her mouth, probably, fell open. She was aghast. 
Instinctively, her hand raised to her chest and clutched the string of pearls that she was known to wear as she called out, Oh my God. And thus, the seed was planted. Tipper, a Democrat, immediately got to work assembling a group that would come to be known as the Washington Wives. The qualifications of these women is that they were all married to men who had actual jobs. Tipper was the wife of then-Senator Al Gore. She was joined by Susan Baker, the wife of Treasury Secretary James Baker, Pam Hauer, the wife of Washington real estate developer Raymond Hauer, and Sally Nevius, wife of former Washington City Council Chairman John Nevius. The group's formation was cemented with financial help from Mike Love from the Beach Boys and Joseph Coors, the owner of Coors Beer. And Coors also offered office space to the group. And just like that, the PMRC was founded. They described their goals as to educate and inform parents of this alarming new trend toward lyrics that are sexually explicit. Basically, Tipper was mad that she hadn't done her due diligence regarding the media that she was allowing her young child to have access to. So she climbed up on her high horse and turned it into a moral obligation to let the whole world know the kind of evils that were being transmitted through modern music. The first course of action for the group was to contact the RIAA, which is the Recording Industry Association of America. Their goal was to have the RIAA voluntarily create a rating system for music that would be similar to what the Motion Picture Association uses for movies. The PMRC actually had quite a few ideas or requests, some of which were printing warnings and lyrics on album covers, forcing record stores to put albums with explicit covers under the counters, pressuring television stations not to broadcast explicit songs or videos, reassessing the contracts of musicians who performed violently or sexually in concert, and creating a panel to set industry standards. I don't know about you, but some of that stuff sounds truly horrifying to me. But as it turned out, the recording industry wasn't exactly very excited by what Tipper and the ladies were proposing. They didn't jump to act on any of those suggestions. So throughout that summer of 1985, the PMRC and members of the recording industry were unable to reach an agreement on what exactly constitutes explicit content or how a rating system might be implemented. Frustrated that they were unable to make any headway with the music industry, the PMRC took full advantage of their political connections and arranged a fucking congressional hearing on the topic of explicit content in rock music and a proposed labeling system. Among the most memorable actions taken by the PMRC was the compiling of a list of songs from popular music of the day that they called the Filthy 15. This is a list of 15 songs, along with the artist performing them and a classification for why they're on the list. Let's go through that list. 
First, we've got Darling Nikki from Prince, and it was on the list for sex and masturbation. We've got Sugar Walls from Sheena Easton on the list for sex. We have Eat Me Alive by Judas Priest. It's on there for sex and violence. Strap On Robbie Baby from Vanity is on there for sex. We've got Bastard from Motley Crue. It's on there for violence and language. We've got Let Me Put My Love Into You from ACDC for sex. I fucking love that song. We have We're Not Gonna Take It from Twisted Sister. That's on there for violence. Dress You Up from Madonna is on there for sex. We have Animal, Fuck Like a Beast from Wasp. That's on there for sex, language, and violence. We've got High and Dry, Saturday Night from Def Leppard. That's on there for drug and alcohol use. We've got Into the Coven from Merciful Fate. That's on there for occult. We have Trashed from Black Sabbath. That's on there for drug and alcohol use. A song called In My House from the Mary Jane Girls is on there for sex. Possessed by Venom is there for occult. And finally, we have Shebop from Cindy Lauper, and that is on there for sex and masturbation. Now, of those 15 songs, only two of them are labeled as occult. Four were labeled with violence. And the rest were all some combination of sex and drugs. Masturbation seemed to be a real sticking point as well. And that one is perhaps the weirdest of all, considering that masturbation is literally a person touching their own body. But okay. All this leads us to September of 1985. The congressional hearing that Tipper and these Washington wives fucked their way into took place. The hearing brought together a whole bunch of interested parties, including musicians, record label execs, religious leaders, and politicians, all to discuss this deeply threatening issue of explicit content in music. Representatives from the PMRC, musicians Dee Snyder, Frank Zappa, and John Denver, along with Senators Paula Hawkins, Al Gore, and others, all testified before the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee. There were supporting witnesses and opposing witnesses. Each side was given some time to speak and respond to questions. Shall we listen in on some of the actual testimony? Bear with me, guys. I pulled quite a few clips. Some of them are fairly short, but some of them are several minutes long. The hearing itself was five hours long, And I sat my ass down and watched the whole entire thing while I pulled these clips. So let's get started. These are all in chronological order as they happened in the hearing, I think. First up, we've got Al Gore's intro. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. And I would like to thank you and commend you for calling this hearing. Because my wife has been heavily involved in the evolution of this issue, I have gained quite a bit of familiarity with it, and I've really gained an education in what is involved. The two most important things I've learned which have changed my initial attitude to this whole concern are, number one, the proposals made by those concerned about this problem do not involve a government role of any kind whatsoever. 
They're not asking for any form of censorship or regulation of speech in any manner, shape, or form. What they are asking for is whether or not the music industry can show some self-restraint and working together in a manner similar to uh, that used by the movie industry, whether or not they can come up with a voluntary guide system for parents who wish to uh, exercise what they believe to be their responsibilities to their children to try to uh, prevent their children from being exposed to material that is uh, not appropriate for them. The second thing I've learned uh, over the past several months is that the kind of material in question is really very different from the kind of material which has caused uh, similar controversies in past generations. It really is very different, and I think uh, those who have not uh, become familiar with this material will, will realize uh, that fact when they, when they see some of the examples that involve extremely popular groups that get an awful lot uh, of play, some of the most popular groups around now. All right. Al mentioned the idea that the concerned parties were not looking for any government intervention in the form of legislation. That is a big deal because everyone knows that if there was an actual attempt to violate the First Amendment directly, there would be a tremendous backlash. So instead, they want to try and force the hand of the recording industry to do it all voluntarily. Which begs the question, if no government intervention is being sought after, why the fuck is this hearing happening? But we'll get into more of that later. Next up is Al's wife, Tipper Gore. Thank you, Mrs. Baker. Mrs. Gore? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We are asking the recording industry to voluntarily assist parents who are concerned by placing a warning label on music products inappropriate for younger children due to explicit sexual or violent lyrics. The Parents Music Resource Center originally proposed a categorical rating system for explicit material. After many discussions with the record industry, we recognize some of the logistical and economic problems and have adjusted our original suggestions accordingly. We now propose one generic warning label to inform consumers in the marketplace about lyric content. The labels would apply to all music. We have asked the record companies voluntarily label their own products and assume responsibility for making those judgments. We asked the record industry to appoint a one-time panel to recommend a uniform set of criteria which could serve as a policy guide for the individual companies. Those individual recording companies would then, in good faith, agree to adhere to this standard and make decisions internally about which records should be labeled according to the industry criteria. We have also asked that lyrics for labeled music products be available to the consumer before purchase in the marketplace. Now it's important to clearly state what our proposal is not. A voluntary labeling is not censorship. Censorship implies restricting access or suppressing content. This proposal does neither. Moreover, it involves no government action. 
voluntarily labeling in no way infringes upon First Amendment rights. Labeling is little more than truth and packaging, by now a time-honored principle in our free enterprise system. And without labeling, parental guidance is virtually impossible. Most importantly, the committee should understand the Parents Music Resource Center is not advocating any federal intervention or legislation whatsoever. The excesses that we are discussing were allowed to develop in the marketplace, and we believe the solutions to these excesses should come from the industry who has allowed them to develop and not from the government. Okay. There you hear Tipper hammer away at the idea that this is just an innocent helping hand for parents and definitely not an effort towards censorship. Next up, we have a guy we'll call the slideshow guy, since I don't remember his name. This guy came in with a giant pop-up screen and delivered a whole slideshow presentation. Here are a few highlights from that. Rock stars who present death as a positive, almost attractive alternative. The album I'm holding up in front of you is by the band Metallica. It's on Electra Asylum Records. A song on this album is called Fade to Black and says the following I have lost the will to live, simply nothing more to give. There is nothing more for me. I need the end to set me free. Death greets me warm. I will just say goodbye. Consider the self-destructive violence that's encouraged in their song Whiplash. Bang your head against the stage like you never have before. Make it ring, make it bleed, make it really sore. In a frenzied madness, now is the time to let it rip, to let it fucking loose. We are gathered here to maim and kill, for this is what we choose. Yeah, there he was reading some bits of lyrics from Fade to Black, and I think it was Whiplash from Metallica. Uh, It is very fun when he reads the lyrics and when he says uh, inappropriate words. And we've got a couple more clips from him. Let's check it out. The song is called Lust. The lyrics say, hell on fire, lust's desire. The devil wants to stick you. The devil wants to lick you. He wants your body. He wants your spirit. Naked, twisting bodies, sweating. Prince of darkness, prince of evil. Spread your legs and scream. This is no dream. Degradation, humiliation, thrusting, shoving, animals humping. He's like a dog in heat. You're just another piece of meat. Craving demons fill you with pain. Now you're bloodied and stained, hurt and beaten. He will possess you. He will molest you. Sex with Satan. Sex with Satan. While we will not consider the subject in depth at this time, it should be noted that occultic themes, primarily Satanism, is prevalent among such bands as Slayer, Venom, and Merciful Fate, one of whose albums is shown in this picture. Yikes. That sounds pretty intense, right? Uh, Satanism scattered all throughout. We've got one more clip from this guy. Let's listen. The back cover of this album, which is available to young children in record stores, included this photo of a nude woman on the back of the album. Songs include Sweet Surrender, quote, I lick my lips and make advances. You lay on down and let me in. But you can't fight. You've got no choice. I'll take you down and rub my cream in. Another song on an earlier album called Cock Rock Shock said the words, we're going to fuck you and oh, you fucking little bitch. This is Motley Crue's album, Shout Out the Devil, Double Platinum. The song of the album we're concerned with here is 10 Seconds to Love. Touch my gun, but don't pull my trigger. Shine my pistol some more. Here I come. Reach down real low. Slide it in real slow. You feel so good. Do you want some more? I've got one more shot. My gun is still warm. I don't know about you guys, but 
I can't get enough of this guy reading these type of lyrics with that dry delivery that he has. Um, and I'm not sure how well you can hear it, but sometimes he'll say a line and there is an audible gasp from the room. <laughs> All the people in there were just uh, having a great time with this. Next up, we've got a clip of Senator Jim Exon. And this one is a bit longer. His delivery has a certain character to it. And he expresses some of the what the fuck are we even doing here attitude that I mentioned earlier. So here is Senator Jim Exon. I want to first congratulate uh, you ladies for coming here and testifying which of the concerns that you have. It seems to me that uh, this should be voluntarily worked out uh, without uh, federal legislation, without regulations. Uh, rock music uh, doesn't appeal to me at all, but it does to my uh, kids and it does to my grandchildren. Therefore, I agree generally with the thesis that's been brought forth here this morning that uh, the arts, even though it, they might, that term might be used loosely uh, the way I view it, uh, one of the things that I uh, find it most difficult to do is to impose upon others what my particular beliefs are whether those beliefs be to my children or my grandchildren. I do happen to believe, though, that uh, you were correct in what the thrust, I believe, of what we saw this morning, some of which was personally offensive to me and other things that were not. Uh, we all have our own uh, individual goals, uh, I guess, and what, how we view those. Uh, I guess a key question that I would like to ask you uh, is, if there's one thing that's come through loud and clear, uh, to me at least, is that uh, you do not want uh, federal legislation and you do not want uh, uh, federal regulation, uh, uh, at least at this time. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. We do not want legislation to remedy this problem. The problem is one that developed in the marketplace. The music industry has allowed the excesses that you saw, and we believe the music industry is the entity to address those excesses. We would like them to do this voluntarily. We propose no legislative solution whatsoever. Do you, when you say legislation, do you also include the term that I use, regulation? Yes. Federal regulation? Yes. Well, given that, and given, I think, what I've tried to put forth as my feelings on this, Mr. Chairman. I uh, suppose it's nice to have these hearings and, and uh, discuss these things because I think it is a concern. But I wonder, Mr. Chairman, if we're not talking about federal regulation and we're not talking about federal legislation, what is the reason for these hearings in front of the Commerce Committee? Uh, can, 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 can anyone answer that? I, I didn't schedule these hearings. I'm glad to be here to take part in them. But sometimes I wonder why these uh, media events are scheduled and for what possible reason well, I think if we're not being asked to do anything about it. Yeah. No, I, I think that the point is that there are uh, problems that exist in the country that are not necessarily solved by legislation or by regulation. Fortunately, the uh, be-all and end-all in the United States is not legislation that's enacted by Congress. I think the point of the hearings is to provide a forum for airing what a lot of people perceive as a real problem. Well, Mr. Chairman, I, that may well be, and that may be well be an intention of uh, what the Congress should or should not do, but 
As one member of the Congress, I think that we indulge in too much uh, publicity events uh, uh, that is far beyond the scope of regulation and legislation, which I think is our primary purpose. All right. So I agree with him there. And I get a kick out of how curmudgeonly he sounds. He's annoyed that he had to drive over there and sit in this room for five hours for some silly bullshit that doesn't belong there. And it sounded, you know, based on the applause, it sounded like uh, more than a few people agreed with them that, you know, this really wasn't a great reason for a hearing like this. At this point in the hearing, they were going to allow testimony from a few people that oppose the PMRC. We had three musicians come to testify, the first of which was Frank Zappa. I only have one clip of Frank, so let's check him out. The establishment of a rating system, voluntary or otherwise, opens the door to an endless parade of moral quality control programs based on things certain Christians don't like. What if the next bunch of Washington wives demands a large yellow J on all material written or performed by Jews in order to save helpless children from exposure to concealed Zionist doctrine? Record ratings are frequently compared to film ratings. Apart from the quantitative difference, there is another that is more important. People who act in films are hired to pretend. No matter how the film is rated, it won't hurt them personally. Since many musicians write and perform their own material and stand by it as their art, whether you like it or not, an imposed rating will stigmatize them as individuals. How long before composers and performers are told to wear a festive little PMRC armband with their scarlet letter on it? Bad facts make bad law, and people who write bad laws are, in my opinion, more dangerous than songwriters who celebrate sexuality, freedom of speech, freedom of religious thought, and the right to due process for composers, performers, and retailers are imperiled if the PMRC and the major labels consummate this nasty bargain. There you go. Frank was pretty clear. During his testimony, he was totally down with putting the lyrics on the album something like an external attached lyric sheet, which would be paid for by the government. Al Gore appeared to be very much on board with that idea. And then we had what was perhaps the most impactful testimony of the day from none other than John Denver. I don't suspect that John Denver is incredibly popular among the listeners of this podcast, So I want to give a little context as to who John Denver was in 1985 and the perception that the world had of him. He was a singer-songwriter known for popularizing acoustic folk music in the 1970s. And this dude has sold over 33 million fucking albums. He guest starred on The Muppet Show. He hosted the Grammys five times through the 70s and 80s. The Colorado State Legislature adopted his song Rocky Mountain High as one of its two state songs in 2007. And West Virginia did the same for Take Me Home Country Roads in 2014. Again, for context, he has a song called Thank God I'm a Country Boy. This man sang a whole lot about how he just really loved nature and music. In a nutshell, he was about as wholesome as you could ever want a musician to be. His list of wholesome network television gigs is insane. 
And here you go. Just so you understand, here's a little taste of his well-known Rocky Mountain High. When he first came to the mountains, his life was far away. On the road, hanging by a song. But the string's already broken, and he doesn't really care. It keeps changing fast, and it don't last for long. All right, you see what I'm saying? So knowing all this, there was some concern about him getting up there and giving testimony that would be favorable to the PMRC and their position. Wholesome Jesus boy is going to get up there and say, yeah, we need to censor all of this evil, offensive devil music and whatever. I have a few clips of John at the hearing, so let's listen to him. Honorable Chairman and members of the committee, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great honor and a privilege to, be, to appear before you this morning and to take advantage of the opportunity given me in our free society to speak my mind, to give voice to my opinions in a public forum in front of not only the leadership of our great country, but the press and the media, and through them all who might be listening around our country and around the world. I'm here to address the issue of a possible rating system in the recording industry, labeling records where excesses of explicit sex or graphic violence have occurred, and furthermore, references to drugs and alcohol or the occult are included in the lyrics. These hearings have been called to determine whether or not the government should intervene to enforce this practice. Mr. Chairman, this would approach censorship. May I be very clear that I am strongly opposed to censorship of any kind in our society or anywhere else in the world. I've had in my experience two encounters with a sort of censorship. Uh, my song, Rocky Mountain High, was banned from many radio stations uh, as a drug-related song. This was obviously done by people who had never seen or been to the Rocky Mountains and also had never experienced the elation, the celebration of life, or the joy in living that one feels when he observes something as wondrous as the Perseid meteor shower. On a moonless and cloudless night, when there are so many stars that you have a shadow from the starlight. And you're out camping with your friends, your best friends, and introducing them to one of nature's most spectacular light shows for the very first time. Obviously a clear case of misinterpretation. And Mr. Chairman, what assurance have I that any national panel to review my music would make any better judgment? To my knowledge, my movie, Oh God, was not banned in any theaters. However, some newspapers refused to print our advertisements and some theaters refused to put the name of the film in the marquee. I don't believe that we were using the name of our Lord in vain. Quite the opposite, we were making a small effort to spread his message that we are here for each other and not against each other. Discipline and self-restraint when practiced by an individual, a family, or a company is an effective way to deal with this issue. Would you look at that? His wholesome little Jesus-praising ass is right on the money. I've never wanted to hug a Christian more than just then, listening to John Denver. Let's hear more of what he had to say. Mr. Chairman, the suppression of a people or of a society begins, in my mind, with the censorship of the written or spoken word. It was so in Nazi Germany. It is so in many places today where those in power are afraid of the consequences of an informed and educated people. In a mature and incredibly diverse society such as ours, the access to all perspectives of an issue becomes more and more important. Those things which in our experience are undesirable 
generally prove to be unfurthering and sooner or later become boring. That process cannot and should not be stifled. On the other hand, that which is denied becomes that which is most desired, and that which is hidden becomes that which is most interesting. Consequently, a great deal of time and energy is spent trying to get at what is being kept from you. Our children, our people, our society, and the world cannot afford this waste. He's making sense, man. He points out there that making some music taboo like that will only increase the demand for it. And I've got one last clip of John. Let's check it out. Well, I think that, that you know, a good beginning to addressing this real problem is, the possi- is this hearing that is taking place. What most concerns me, aside from potential legislation which might be enacted, which we have said is, which we've heard today is not going to be the case, is that the whole presentation made by the PMRC comes from, in my experience, a foundation of fear. The only thing we have to fear, as President Roosevelt said, is fear itself. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of what my children might see. I'm not afraid of anything that might be shown, shown them or done in their presence that would lessen my influence on them or their opportunity to grow up and be fine, upstanding adults and perhaps someday serve in this uh, very august body. Well, most respectfully, President Roosevelt never heard these records. <laughs> I think the things that he heard were far worse, sir. Well, there he is. A strong showing from John Denver, I would say. In the end, he was also very much against a rating system, but he was okay with the idea of lyrics being printed on the outside of a package. And the last of the musicians to testify was D. Snyder. Here's a little bit of his introduction. Before I get into that, I'd like to tell the committee a little bit about myself. I'm 30 years old, I'm married, I have a three-year-old son. I was born and raised a Christian, and I still adhere to those principles. Believe it or not, I do not drink, I do not smoke, and I do not do drugs. I do play in and write the songs for a rock and roll band named Twisted Sister that is classified as heavy metal. And I pride myself on writing songs that are consistent with my above-mentioned beliefs. Of these three guys that testified, the musicians, I think D may have gotten the most attention. At this particular moment in time, he was the most popular and visible in the mainstream culture, and he had one of his songs placed on that Filthy 15 list. By the time this hearing happened... Twisted Sisters' Stay Hungry album had sold over 3 million copies. And let me just pause to say that Stay Hungry is a great fucking album. The title track is one of my favorite songs, lyrically, of all time. And inside the liner notes for the album, it says, All Lyrics and Music by Dee Snyder. This motherfucker joined that band, took over, and wrote everything on their biggest album. He was a bad motherfucker. Let's keep going with D. I have taken the liberty of distributing to you material and lyrics pertaining to these accusations. There were three attacks in particular which I would like to address. Accusation number one. This attack was contained in an article written by Tipper Gore, which was given the form of a full page in my hometown newspaper on Long Island. In this article, Ms. Gore claimed that one of my songs, Under the Blade, had lyrics encouraging sadomasochism, bondage, and rape. 
The lyrics she quoted have absolutely nothing to do with these topics. On the contrary, the words in question are about surgery and the fear that it instills in people. Furthermore, the reader of this article is led to believe that the three lines she quotes go together in the song, when as you can see from reading the lyrics, the first two lines she cites are an edited phrase from the second verse, and the third line is a misquote of a line from the chorus. That the writer could misquote me is curious, since we make it a point to print all our lyrics on the inner sleeve of every album. As the creator of Under the Blade, I can say categorically that the only sadomasochism, bondage, and rape in this song is in the mind of Ms. Gore. God damn, son. He said Tipper is a goddamn pervert right in front of Al and everyone. After the initial statement, the panel is able to ask questions. So Al Gore gets a chance to speak with D directly. Excuse me, are you going to tell me you're a big fan of my music as well? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a fan of I'm your sorry, music. I'm sorry, Mr. Gore. I, uh, I'm, I'm aware that uh, Frank Zappa and John Denver uh, cover quite a spectrum, and I do uh, enjoy them both. I am, am not, however, a fan of Twisted Sister, and uh, I will okay. readily uh, say that. Mr. Snyder, uh, what is the name of your fan club? The fan club is called the SMF Friends of Twisted Sister. And uh, what does SMF uh, stand for when it's uh, spelled out? It stands for the Sick Motherfucking Friends of Twisted Sister. Is this uh, also a Christian group? Uh, I don't believe that profanity has anything to do with Christianity. Thank you. It's just an interesting uh, choice for, um, because I was getting the impression from your presentation that you were a very wholesome uh, kind of uh, performer. And uh, that is an interesting title for, for your fan club. In Surge, you say your song, Under the Blade, is uh, about surgery. Have you ever had uh, surgery with your hands tied and your legs strapped? Uh, the song was written about my guitar player, Eddie Ojeda. He was having polyps removed from his throat, and he was very fearful of this operation. And I said, Eddie, while you're in the hospital, I'm going to write a song for you. The I said it was about the fear of operations. I think people imagine being helpless on a table, a bright light in their face, the blade coming down on them, and having no, totally afraid that they may wake up, who knows, dead, handicapped. There's a certain fear of hospitals. That's what, that's in my imagination what I see the hospitals like. Is there a reference to the hospital in the song? No, there isn't, but there isn't a reference to a woman, sadomasochism, or brain. a reference to to someone uh, whose hands are uh, tied down and whose legs are strapped down and he's uh, going under the blade to be uh, cut. Yes, there is. All right. Uh, so it's not uh, really a, uh, a wild uh, leap of the imagination to, uh, uh, to jump to the conclusion that that's about something other than uh, surgery or hospitals, uh, neither of which are mentioned in the song. No, it's not a wild jump, and I think uh, I, what I said in one part was that songs allow a person to put their own imagination, experiences, and dreams into the lyrics. Uh, people can interpret it many ways. Uh, Ms. Gore was looking for sadomasochism and bondage, and she found it. Someone looking for surgical references would have found it as well. Yeah. Man, I get so annoyed at the way Al Gore was needling him about oh, I thought you were supposed to be wholesome and innocent, but you're using curse words. I demand to have a word with Al Gore about this. But all right, I think D obviously held his own at the hearing, and he definitely left a lasting impression. As a side note, 
the cool kids out there will know about this. There's a sort of cult classic film that was released the very next year in 1986 called Trick or Treat. And there's a short scene in the film based on D testifying at this hearing. In the film, it is fictional rock star Sammy Kerr in the place of D. Snyder. It's a great movie with a killer soundtrack album. If you're interested, go dig into that. D's stance or solution was simply that retail outlets should be forced to accept returns from unsatisfied record buyers. And I have clips of one last guy. Next up, we have Stanley Gordikov, who was the president of the Recording Industry Association of America at the time. The first clip is a little long, and Stanley's delivery isn't exactly exciting, but what he has to say is valuable. Let's check it out. To begin, we respect those parental concerns. Our constructive response is this. On future releases containing explicit lyrics, recording companies individually will include a packaging inscription that will state, parental guidance, explicit lyrics. This will highlight such content for any concerned parent to exercise discretion. And that move by the recording companies directly addresses the core concern of the PMRC. For the record companies, this is a significant step which we do approach, though, with trepidation. It is as far as we can and should go. The described parental guidance inscription is not a a universally popular solution. Many feel that the inscription goes too far and represents caving in to the PMRC. Creative people are saying so, and you heard that. So are thoughtful journalists and media responses, some of which accompany our written statement. But there are some PMRC recommendations that we just cannot accommodate. The first relates to ratings. We will not rate the 25,000 new recorded songs we release each year as originally requested by the PMRC. We would not even know how, let alone trust anointed experts to do so. By whose standards would such, would such ratings be determined? For what audience ages? For what religious, geographic, and societal backgrounds? For what degree of permissiveness or stricture? Nor will we, by separate ratings, differentiate between violent, sexual, substance abuse, or occult content. I doubt if any really concerned parent needs to favor or deplore any one of those categories over the others. However, if the PMRC or any other organization really wants ratings, it is free to set up its own private system, just as the Catholic Church has done for movies. Second, in respect to lyrics, we cannot consistently imprint on the outside of recordings the lyrics of the songs within or reproduce them for broadcasters. Music publishers usually own those rights, not record companies. Further, we cannot commit 50% of the space available on an LP jacket to lyrics alone, and cassettes are just too small to permit lyric display. Third, in respect to in-store, the PMRC has asked that retailers be required to place explicit recordings behind counters or in special wrappers and to keep a master set of all lyrics on hand in stores. Recording companies do not have such rights or control. Retailers run their own businesses. Many are self-service with inadequate staffs to implement such actions. They also must serve the needs of the 95% of their music purchasers who are not younger children. 
What I've just presented then summarizes what recording companies can and cannot do. Nevertheless, to our plan, parental guidance inscription, the PMRC has said it is not enough. PMRC instead wants an industry panel to prepare common qualifications for such an inscription. Again, what superior wisdom would any such panel possess to proclaim a national standard for our diverse populace? The PMRC itself has not needed guidelines to identify lyrics they have exposed to you here today. No star panel can make endless laundry lists of no-nos that can handily apply to every future lyric written. Lyrics just do not come only in, convenient, in the convenient form of four-letter words. They deal with interpretations, imagery, illusions, and a master bank of right-wrong or good-bad characterizations is likely to become a first step towards censorship, a concept which is ab abhorrent and fundamentally inconsistent with creative freedom and American values. All right. He took some time there to go through several of the different requests or suggestions that were made by the PMRC, and he shuts down a lot of them right on the spot. He says, this isn't feasible, this isn't something we're willing or able to do, and it's not likely to happen. And here is our last clip where Mr. Gordikov expresses some skepticism toward the PMRC's goals. And as to the PMRC, I am getting a little apprehensive about its motives and fervor. Recording companies have offered to meet the core concern of the PMRC. Yet without waiting to see even how the program operates, they tell us that's not good enough. The PMRC has said clearly it does not want censorship. But I fear that the only acceptable translation of the wishes of the PMRC will somehow constitute a de facto first stage form of censorship. The PMRC now, now seems committed to impose its will on an entire creative community and on broadcasters, on record retailers, and thus on all who buy and hear recorded music. The PMRC seeks to revamp the structural patterns of an industry, to hold our feet to the fire. As the PMRC expands its actions and themes, its medium is becoming more vital than its message. I appeal to the PMRC by saying, enough already. I hope it takes pride in what it has spotlighted and achieved and in the response it definitely has triggered. I hope it does not allow a thirst for press, public, and government attention to gain priority over the olive branch we offer. The members of the PMRC are parents. I and many of my colleagues are parents too. The PMRC has no monopoly on love and concern for kids. Child supervision is my personal parental responsibility and the degrees of control versus freedom are mine alone to set. I certainly would not be content to assign any part of my responsibility to some outside surrogate like a record company, a radio station, a censorship panel, a government body, or a parent organization. Thank you. What can you say? The guy makes sense, right? Um, Stanley Gordikov, rest in peace. He has since passed away. Um, but I agree with him. I think he was on the money. So that concluded the hearing. But of course, that was just the beginning of this new era. When it was all said and done, we were left with the now familiar black and white sticker. Originally, the sticker said parental advisory explicit lyrics, and it eventually morphed over to say parental advisory explicit content, which is still what's in use today. Now, why exactly 
did the recording industry give in to this warning label that surely they did not want to place on albums? Well, some industry insiders had some ideas. As reported on by the Washington Post back in October of 1985, quote, they feel the Recording Industry Association of America originally endorsed a plan calling for warning labels on potentially offensive albums because they wanted to show Congress they're accommodating enough to deserve the financial break that home taping legislation under consideration by a Senate Copyright Subcommittee today would give them. The bill would add 5 to 25% to the price of tape recorders and impose a penny-per-minute levy on blank tapes, which could add an estimated $200 million yearly to the industry's coffers. Danny Goldberg, president of Gold Mountain Records and founder of the Musical Majority, a coalition of performers, writers, and executives opposed to any rating system, says he hasn't seen the PMRC directly threaten to influence the home taping bill, but, he adds, there's no question that the message was sent to the recording industry by whatever means that failure to compromise with the PMRC would affect the views of certain senators on the home taping bill. So there you go. They went along with it, despite not liking it, to increase the likelihood that they could benefit from the home taping legislation that was going around at the time. If you're under 35 years old, let's say, you've never lived in a world where there weren't warning labels on albums. And depending on your age and how into music you are, all of your music might just be represented by a little square on your phone screen. And those labels are still there, but they're a few pixels wide and all but meaningless now if you're Music consumption is done through streaming services, like it is for most of you. So what effect did the labels have? One more anecdotal effect is that it made people want certain albums even more. It has that forbidden fruit effect, right? Oh, that's a special bad album that says something I'm not supposed to hear. I have to have it. And then there's Walmart. Walmart was the biggest music retailer for a long time, and they are still right near the very top. Depending on the day, I think only Apple and Amazon have surpassed them. And because of their family values credo, Walmart refuses to carry albums with the parental advisory stickers. According to its corporate statement on stickered music, Walmart will not stock music with parental guidance stickers. While Walmart sets high standards, it would not be possible to eliminate every image, word, or topic that an individual might find objectionable. And the goal is not to eliminate the need for parents to review the merchandise their children buy. The policy simply helps eliminate the most objectionable material from Walmart's shelves. Walmart will even request that artists and recording companies change what they consider objectionable lyrics and CD covers. So, It goes like this. Walmart says, hey there, artists and record labels, that sticker is totally not censorship. But if your album has it, the biggest music store in the world will not carry your album and your career will be fucked. But because we're nice, we'll offer you the option of editing your art in order to be carried in our store. Are we seeing the problem now? 
And because of this financial pressure on the labels, countless artists have made changes to albums in order to be sold in stores. Nirvana famously changed its song title from Rape Me to Waif Me for the Walmart version of their In Utero album. They also had to change the art on the back cover of the album. And there are countless examples of this stuff over the years. Also, within weeks of the hearing, more than a dozen states attempted to include that sticker in the definition of obscenity, which is a felony. So basically, you could sing about masturbating and end up charged with a felony. Luckily, it did not play out that way. We move forward a few years to July 18th, 1993, Rage Against the Machine are set to play in Philadelphia on the Lollapalooza tour. However, when they took the stage for their set, they stood side by side with duct tape over their mouths, naked, each with one letter on their chest spelling out PMRC. They stood there for 25 minutes as a protest against censorship, and that was it for their set that day. And Tipper Gore also quit the PMRC that same year. The group eventually grew to include 22 participants before shutting down in the mid to late 1990s. So the PMRC itself is gone, but the legacy of the committee lives on through that stupid sticker that still appears on albums today. There are a ton of subjects that branch out from this one. Things like parenting and deciding how kids consume art, censorship and artistic freedom, what should the role of government be in regulating artistic expression, and even the ways that society's perceptions of heavy metal and rock music have changed since the 1980s. I'm sure we'll get into some of those at some point, but I just wanted to share a bit of this PMRC story since it's one that's been really interesting to me for such a long time. Now, if you've got a moment, please visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. I'd like you to stay safe out there, and Hail Satan. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me Motherfucker